And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Tuesday, August 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. It is Prospect Tuesday. Only three more Prospect Tuesdays counting today before the program shifts around a bit. We'll still have a Tuesday podcast, so we'll give everybody an update on you know what's going on once the time gets a little bit closer. But the minor league season winding down. On this episode, we have a round of prospect news. We've got some debuts and promotions. We've got a few injuries to get to. And we've got a couple trending players of interest. Time permitting, we've got a level roundup at low A. A lot of interesting names, many of whom might not be rostered in some of the deep keeper in Dynasty Leagues that people play in. So, Al, we begin with some prospect news. C.J. Abrams getting a chance to make his debut for the Nationals on Monday night. It was an uneventful debut. Uh, he went 0 for 4 with the strikeout. But I think the bigger question here is, is the trade that sent C.J. Abrams to the Nationals actually a good thing for the stability of his playing time and ultimately for his long-term fantasy value compared to an alternative where he might have been in more of that up-and-down position for a while or at least you know, stuck in the bottom third of the order or maybe more susceptible to being in a platoon had he stayed in San Diego, had he not been included in the Juan Soto trade. I think there's no question that it's probably a better move for his development and not being shuttled back and forth. There's clearly an opportunity as long as the national organization, Nationals organization wants him to have it at the major league level. We've talked about this before, DVR, but um, you know, I think the, the big issue is just that Abrams just didn't look ready earlier this year uh, up with the Padres and you know, went back to AAA and uh, showed some good power, uh, the, the low strikeout rates from double a uh translated over to triple a so i think he really did need that that extra time and uh i i think it's only a good thing for him that he's maybe in a situation that's not only got uh fewer people blocking him but also maybe a little less pressure yeah i think the the way the Nats are built right now, Luis Garcia is going to play second base once he's healthy. I mean, defensively, the numbers have been bad. Abrams is the better shortstop by all accounts, by all scouting reports. So they're already making that adjustment for those two guys to play up the middle. I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if Abrams is just the everyday guy the rest of the way down the stretch this season. And then he begins 2023 with the starting shortstop job as well. You know, and I talked about him a little bit on rates and barrels yesterday, just from a, a long-term perspective, you know, the things we'd look for in a player profile and when is it appropriate to start to worry about a player not having the ceiling we'd hoped. And I, I don't think, I don't think I want to take a 21-year-old who lost time in the minor leagues to injuries and, of course, didn't have a 2020 minor league season and say after 102 batted balls, I know what C.J. Abrams is going to be as a player. Like I've, I've completely cracked the code. I don't, I don't believe that that sample is large enough, especially for a player that age. And what I came to is, as I looked into some other similar players in recent years who made uh, contact quality in terms of barrel rate and hard hit rate that was similar. I found a couple optimistic comps. I found Tim Anderson as a guy that doesn't barrel the ball very often and has actually kind of similar plate skills where the K rate was kind of like good, but the walk rate was always low. And we were looking at the, the lens of max exit velocity just as a way of kind of getting a gauge of, of raw power. So the comp sort of checked out there. Tommy Edmond sort of came up as another player that right around a 5% barrel rate, um, a lower max exit velocity than what you're looking for, but even actually a little better than Tim Anderson. I think Colton Wong comes up as a similar player, but even Wander Franco from 2021 had a similar barrel rate, similar max exit velocity to what we've seen already from C.J. Abrams. And my my core argument or my the final part of my argument was if we're not really going to give up or change our expectations on Wander, which I don't think we should, we probably shouldn't change our expectations all that much just yet 
for C.J. Abrams. Probably a little premature to do that. Yeah, I think those those are all great comps. I think that's also a fair point, and uh, you would certainly expect that Abrams has a much higher ceiling than than say Tommy Edmond or, or Colton Wong. So. Uh, I would expect a little bit more power within a few years from Abrams, but yeah, it's might not uh, happen over the last couple of months here. Might not even happen next year, but uh, I think there's definitely room for him to uh, to grow that power game. I'm adamant though that we're more likely to get speed, average, and runs from Abrams before we get everything else. The rest of that stuff might come. That power might be there, but I think it's going to take a little longer for that power to show up than some people might like. Some other news-related items, Ryan Pepio is going to get another turn in the rotation on Tuesday against the Brewers. We did get news that Walker Bueller is having season-ending elbow surgery, so the Dodgers' depth, depending on other injuries, could be tested more down the stretch. But this news, of course, comes with Dustin May nearing his return to the Dodgers' rotation, and May has been fantastic throughout his rehab assignment so far. So this looks like a spot start for Pepio, but it's possible that he becomes more important for the Dodgers at some point in the weeks ahead, almost regardless of what happens on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of hope for Pepio either having a, a role rest of season that's going to make him really relevant in, in redraft fantasy uh, or necessarily even uh, have performance because the the walk rate has just been untenable so far. And the thing is, if, if he was coming up from posting rates of like seven, eight percent in the minors, you know, that would be one thing. But, um, you know, it's just a little a little too high. Um, so, that, you know, that that's a concern. And I mean, maybe he'll he'll make more spot starts. They can go with a six man rotation at various points, maybe have him piggyback with Dustin May or um you know, I think there's a number of ways that they could use uh, use Pepio, but uh, if he's out there, I'm certainly not looking at him in redraft. But in Dynasty, I'm also not taking uh, the the small sample that he's put up so far as a major leaguer and making that a reason to to discount him. Yeah, I'm totally with you across the board as it goes with Ryan Pepio. Let's talk about D.L. Hall for a moment. He debuted over the weekend, and it sounds like the plan is for him to finish the season working as a reliever because the workload last season was very light. D.L. Hall, I think, made seven starts, 31 and two-thirds innings last year at AA. Um, Across multiple levels so far this season, he's got just over 80 innings, about 81 and change at this point. So they're probably aiming for something in the realm of 95 to 100 The debut was nothing to get excited about in the sense that he got knocked around a little bit, gave up five runs over three and two-thirds against the Rays back on Saturday. Six strikeouts, though, three walks. Walks have been part of the issue for D.L. Hall throughout his time in the Orioles system. But one thing that's really interesting here is that Eno Saris' pitching model did have the numbers for D.L. Hall in it when I checked this morning. D.L. Hall turned out a stuff-plus number of 142.4, and just to provide some context of the actual pitchers in the model, there's a, a position player that actually leads <laughs> that actually leads the <laughs> the league and stuff. It was Cody Clemens who threw 16 pitches earlier this season and has a ridiculous stuff number because pitchers or hit, position players pitching seem to have some quirks that the model doesn't scrub out. But uh, nevertheless, DL Hall is really sixth. In stuff plus this season behind Felix Bautista, Calvin Fauche, Paul Seawald, Pete Fairbanks, and Emmanuel Classe. Now, two things stand out to me. One, that's a great place to be on a list that includes everyone who's pitched in a game this season. That's really excellent stuff in terms of your movement profile, your velocity, the things that, that make pitches very difficult to hit. But all of those guys ahead of him are relievers. And if you look at the location number, that also lines up pretty much the same as Felix Bautista. It's below average command. So I do have some concerns that while you know D.L. Hall probably continues to get chances as a starter to begin 2023, he looks more like an electric reliever right now than a surefire starter. Now, if you want some reasons for optimism, I think Spencer Strider in this model has a similarly high stuff number at 136.6 but he at least has average location at 100. So there's still room for improvement. There could be an off-season adjustment, cleaner mechanics, something along those lines. Um, so I, I guess the question is, are you more excited about the the underlying numbers with D.L. Hall, or are you more uh, pessimistic about the possibility of him having to shift into a high-leverage relief role? Yeah, I think more the latter, uh, but 
there there could still be like you said an off season uh, improvement or something that happens uh, in in twenty twenty three, but as it stands that yeah that was a really interesting set of comps for Hall and uh, as the Orioles bullpen is currently constituted he probably wouldn't close so at least in the short term maybe the you know next year and a half. Uh, that's not necessarily an encouraging thing for Hall, but a lot can happen. So really, it probably doesn't move move the needle for me much one way uh, or the other. But it does open up a different possibility that could really uh, put a hit on his uh, on his fantasy value. And you look year over year, even prior to last season, go back to 2019 at high A. He was only 20 years old at the time. 80 and two-thirds innings that season. Back in Delmarva in 2018, 94 and a third innings. So... It's going to be a couple of seasons before D.L. Hall, if he stays in the rotation, can really provide a full starter's workload from April to the end of September. That's going to be the other long-term concern there. So stuff looks electric. It it kind of checks out against the strikeout rates we've seen so far. But uh, as expected, some concerns about location folded right in there. We'll see how things go for him down the stretch in that other role back at AAA, at least for the time being. Uh, Kyle Muller made a start over the weekend, was quickly optioned back to AAA. I think he's the guy we've wanted to see in the big leagues the most uh, among kind of near MLB-ready guys who aren't necessarily heralded as elite pitching prospects at this time. Absolutely. Uh, and the, just the question is whether or not there'll be another opportunity for him. Uh, because when we were first talking about speculating on Mueller and redraft leagues, it was with the idea that Ian Anderson's probably going to get sent down. That did eventually happen. But that happened concurrently with the the Braves getting Jake Odorizzi. So uh, maybe there's an opportunity if Max Fried needs a little bit more time on the on the IL. Um but, you know, longer term in terms of, you know, not the next week or two, but rest of season. I'm not sure where that opportunity comes from Mueller other than maybe a similar situation like we talked about with the Dodgers where the Braves want to go six man for a while or bring Mueller up for long relief or, or opener uh, status, that kind of thing. Uh, not, not None of that is really super encouraging. I will say, by the way, that I, I picked up Mueller for a dollar several weeks back in TGFBI Dropped him when he had the injury, picked him back up this past weekend for a dollar again. So uh, it's obviously very low risk uh, if you have room to stash him because maybe there is an opportunity. You never know when uh, there might be an injury or uh, some, you know, some role change for somebody. And uh, so I I do think that Strider's or I'm sorry, that uh, uh, Muller is worth uh, the dollar if you have the space to stash him. Yeah, I mean, if there's a keeper component especially, that's where I think you can do really well. Yeah. Get him for a dollar now, hold on to him, just wait and see what happens in the offseason, whether it's a trade, you know, some path to a rotation spot could open up. I do think there's some questions about ceiling and looking at the same pitching model right now. I think you see similar numbers in the model to uh, Brock Burke, who's been really good in the Rangers bullpen, Eric Lauer. So there's a good range of outcomes here. and. I would err on the side if Muller is going to be on a good team, especially of, of being interested in him as a low, like a low dollar pickup and a possible very late round stash in leagues for uh, 2023. Uh, staying in Atlanta, I believe since the last time you and I spoke for the Tuesday podcast, Vaughn Grisham was promoted. And as we kind of laughed about last week, Atlanta's got a pretty nice track record this season of bringing guys up from double A and having them perform right away. Uh, the early days of Vaughn Grisham's big league career have been fantastic. He's six games in. He's already popped a couple of homers. He's stolen a base. He's drawing walks. He's not striking out that much. It's a game of adjustments, so I don't want to get too excited. But if he keeps playing at a level anywhere near this, they're just going to keep Vaughn Grisham around even after Ozzy Alves comes back. So we'll see what happens in the next few weeks before Albies returns, but uh, this is looking really good right now, both for the Braves, but also for anybody who has taken the chance on Grisham in a, in Grissom in a redraft league, where I don't think any of us thought we'd be picking him up this season. No, absolutely not. And uh, I was a little bit skeptical of uh, Grissom, both from a, a, an opportunity perspective beyond this uh, IL stint uh, for Albies and, and also just performance wise. Okay. They, you know, uh, they brought Harris up from Double A, and he's been uh, you know nothing but fantastic. Uh, but for lightly to strike twice like that, um, I, I really wasn't expecting it. So I don't know what they're doing there at Double uh, A Mississippi, but uh, yeah, so far so good for both Harris and Grissom. And 
I just still, I don't know exactly how they work that. If there's going to be some side, some sort of um, rotation uh, in the infield or shifting people to outfield. Uh, but yeah, by the same token, I agree with you. I don't know how they send Grissom down if he continues to play like he has so far. At the very least, he's been extremely productive helping them bridge the gap to Albie's eventually return, eventual return. But I, I, I think you can solve that problem when the time comes. Worse, that's that's a good problem to have if you are uh, in a decision-making position for Atlanta. Uh, Tyler Freeman has been up for a little while. I don't think we've talked about him on this show other than maybe when he got healthy in the minors earlier this season. And I think it's kind of interesting because he doesn't necessarily have a spot to call his own right now. The Guardians infield's a little crowded. Josh Naylor has taken a step forward this year. Andres Jimenez has taken a big step forward this year. Ahmed Rosario has just locked down the shortstop job. And of course, Jose Ramirez plays third base and plays that well and does a lot of other things really well. Uh, so I, I think with Freeman, it's almost like he's already in this sort of utility or super utility role. And it's been kind of a rough stretch going back to 2021 for him. Injuries have really slowed him down. He's played 113 games in the minors going back to the start of last season. Hasn't shown a lot of in-game power yet. It's definitely a good hit tool. And the question is, how often is he going to get to power in games? I think that's going to be the one thing that really determines whether or not Tyler Freeman is a long-term AL-only player for us or if he's actually going to become you know, mixed league relevant by hitting enough and, and possibly carving out a role as another low strikeout rate table setter in the Guardians lineup. Yeah, and the key word there, another, right? They've already uh, got a few in that lineup, a profile uh, not at all dissimilar to Stephen Kwan's, uh, but uh, with, with infield eligibility. And it, yeah, it's, it's from a fancy perspective, it's a little bit frustrating what the Guardians are doing because uh, they've got Nolan Jones, Owen Miller, uh, Freeman. You know, they've got a number of people who are kind of cycling in, out, in and out of DH, uh, you know, first base, third base, second base. And... Um, you know, it would be nice for us, for them maybe to uh, to settle on on one of them. Uh, you know, certainly Owen Miller, he's really cooled off since a, a very good start to the season. I mean, I could see a path where maybe he's phased out a little bit more and giving more of an opportunity for, for Freeman. Uh, it would be just be nice to, to be able to see over uh, a consistently, uh, you know, over a period to see him play a little bit more consistently. Uh, and, and see what he what he can do at the major league level because already he's showing the contact skills. He's barely swinging and missing at all and uh, has struck out just once so far. Yeah, I'm waiting to see over a longer run, how often does he hit barrels though? Is it a lot like Quan? Is it similar to Quan? Uh, if you're looking at you know some of these these options in Cleveland from a long-term perspective, you're looking at Jimenez who clearly has a, a role right now and looks like he's going to go very early in 2023 drafts compared to our previous expectations. If you look at Jimenez versus Miller versus even, I'll say Quan, even though he's in the outfield, and Oscar Gonzalez and Nolan Jones and Freeman, if you could just have one of these players, basically one of the non-Rosario, non-Jose Ramirez guardians, you could throw Quan in here too, which one of these players ends up being the best offensive player in the long run? Who do you think is the best fantasy player of those other bats the Guardians are giving playing time to? I actually would say Gonzalez. And of the, that list of players that you mentioned, he is the one who's probably playing the most consistently. But uh, you know, I think he's got, uh, he, at least so far, he's shown the, the most in-game power. And I uh, think he can be a, a good run producer and hit, hit for a decent average. And, and uh, yeah, I... I like what I've seen from him the best so far. Yeah, I, I wonder if we're going to see the trades that the Guardians did not make at the trade deadline. I wonder if we're going to see them as an active team this winter, trying to get the pieces to fit a little bit better on this roster going forward. Uh, but if you look at Oscar Gonzalez, both in terms of just raw speed and raw power, he really stands out from a stat cast perspective. 91st percentile in max exit velocity, 89th percentile in sprint speed. And keeping the K-rate under control. 21% K-rate is fine. We'd love to see him walk more, but definitely some interesting tools and a guy that might be a little bit overlooked because relative to some of the other names that the Guardians have been breaking in, I don't think there was quite as much appeal with Gonzalez as a prospect by comparison. So I think that could be a really, really savvy call on your part. Uh, Tommy Henry getting some opportunities in Arizona. 
kind of a guy that came out of nowhere for me. At least I didn't have any sort of expectations that Tommy Henry was going to offer up meaningful innings for us this season. Uh, do you see more than an NL only sort of profile in Henry down the stretch? I think perhaps, and uh, you know, it's understandable that he didn't get a, a lot of attention. Might not have been on on a lot of people's radar uh, because the the numbers at AAA this year were they were just so so. Uh, but he he did finish strong. Uh, his latter run of starts, uh, he was definitely uh, performing a lot better, putting up better ratios than he had earlier in the year. And I, I was, um, you know, from maybe June forward, I was following Henry a little bit because I did see that there was a potential opportunity for him in the Diamondbacks rotation. It actually came a little bit later than I thought it would. Uh, and so far, you're looking at what he's done first first three starts and uh, nine strikeouts and eight walks and 17 to the third inning. So it, again, be very easy to not really pay much attention to Henry. But if you go a level deeper behind those uh, top line stats, it's decent. It's decent. I feel like he's maybe under, underperforming both in terms of the strikeout rate and walk rate, a 25.8% uh, CSW, which isn't great, but it's also not bad. Uh, a, a pretty good chase rate of 32%. So uh, I think that... Over time, uh, you'll you'll see him improve a little bit and maybe, maybe be relevant in 15-teamers. That's about as far as I would go for this season with Henry, though. Yeah, I think streaming for 15-teamers is probably the, the ceiling for me in the short term. And one thing I was really trying to drill into is, you know, I know looking at the Diamondback system, Reno is a very hitter-friendly environment. That's a difficult place to pitch. So if you go there and have a home run issue, or even if just balls on play, are really causing problems. If you have a bad whip pitching at AAA Reno, I'm not really going to hold that against you. The home run rate at AA last season, 24 homers and 115 and two-thirds innings, and that was at Amarillo, the AA affiliate of the Diamondbacks. Offhand, I didn't know the the park factors there, but it looks like that's actually one of the most hitter-friendly environments in the minor leagues. Like it, It's a big boost for home runs. Uh, for the level for the league, the Double A Central League, it's the most difficult place to pitch. So uh, that could also be skewing the perception of Tommy Henry a little bit. And with that being a newer affiliate, it might not be ingrained in people's heads that that's a challenging place to try and, and get hitters out consistently. So I am curious to see how things go for him. Yeah, that K rate right now seems very low. And then I think the other question is if you can trust this stuff in the zone more often how much better can the walk rate be at the highest level? I think that's the great unknown with Tommy Henry. That will, in the long run, determine whether or not there's going to be more mixed league appeal than just sort of that streaming consideration that we're giving him right now. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
A few minor league promotions to pass along. Zach Veen up to double-A in the Rockies organization. Uh, Brooks Lee, who the Twins just drafted in the first round back in July, already promoted to high A. He's expected to move pretty quickly through that twin system. And just before we started recording, I saw a note that Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone were both promoted to triple-A by the Dodgers. And I would say they are right there in that group along with Ryan Pepio where you could say, hey, look, like they've got some electric arms in their system who are major league ready or near major league ready. And there's a chance that some combination of those guys play meaningful roles, not only on the stretch in the regular season, but possibly as extra relievers once we get to the playoffs. I, I could definitely see that scenario. And Stone, we haven't really talked about as much as is uh, Pepio this year and uh, really great numbers at, at uh, both high A and double A. Uh, in fact, you could argue got better as <laughs> as he went up. Um, so, yeah, the Dodgers, they just keep on producing all this this pitching depth and they also always seem to need it. So uh, I imagine we could see Stone maybe in some sort of role before the year is out. Yeah, looking at what he did last season, 91 innings in his first season in the Dodgers organization for Gavin Stone this season, just about 98 and a third. So they got a little room if they want to keep uh, pushing him up and, and seeing how he fares and would probably have some innings left, at least in a short relief role if, if it came to that. Bobby Miller we saw in the Futures game, and that looks like big league stuff already. So I could definitely see him emerging as one of those extra bullpen arms for the Dodgers. A few injury items to follow up on. Josh Young continues to make progress toward a return, and he's making his AAA debut now. So I think the impact he makes is going to be a significant one. I'd be surprised if they pushed him all the way back to the big leagues down the stretch. Nothing's impossible. But uh, if you look at what Young has done so far, he's played five games at that level. He's already popped a couple of home runs. He's stolen a base. The plate skills look really good. It seems like he's feeling very healthy at this point. And that's a great sign for a guy who's missed a ton of time uh, with a torn left labrum that he actually suffered while lifting weights back during the spring. Well, yeah, I had a little bit of an exchange with the Rangers beat writer for the athletic Levi Weaver uh, about young. And he was very encouraged by the fact that right away in uh, coming back to AAA that he was playing defensive third base. And maybe that that could be a sign that we'll see him perhaps in September. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, a few weeks back, I certainly would have been shocked by that. But I think uh, it's it's something we we could be prepared for. Uh, it's something definitely watch watch the news updates on Young uh, because he would be one of those prospects uh, from this point forward that I think it would be worth um, loosening up the the remaining Fab dollars to try to get. Yeah, you're chasing power and run production. I think. When Josh Young gets the opportunity, and again, could be down the stretch, maybe more likely that it's opening day 2023, I think he's going to hit right away. He's hit pretty much everywhere he's played, uh, and I just think it's a really encouraging sign that he's been back in game action at this point in the season, season given the, the magnitude of the injury that he's coming back from. Uh, Max Meyer, as we knew, we kind of knew a few weeks ago, did have Tommy John surgery officially, so that has taken place. We'll see him back again, hopefully, in 2024. And Royce Lewis, who is in the early stages of recovering from an ACL repair, so far so good. Things are going as scheduled for Lewis, so we'll continue to keep an eye on him in the weeks ahead as well. A few other items of note from the level change perspective and even uh, one kind of standout performance. Both Mick Abel and Andrew Painter in the Phillies organization have been moved up to AA, so a good sign for those guys to keep making their way forward. Uh, Nick Gonzalez, we've talked about on a handful of episodes over the course of the season, is back from the IL now at AA Altoona, so hopefully he can finish the season on a high note and put himself in consideration for some kind of 2023 promotion. And then Cade Cavalli just had a season-high 11 strikeouts in his most recent start at AAA, now sitting with 96 Ks in 92 innings at AAA this season. Only three homers allowed. Does have a slight issue with walks, 36 walks in 92 innings, but only three homers. Looks like a guy that's pretty much ready for the big leagues. I just don't know if the Nationals are, are willing to start the clock now as opposed to just waiting until the beginning of 2023. 
it's really hard to get a beat on that. Uh, and I've uh, in the the prospects column that I, I write every few weeks, I've had a couple of updates on Cavalli in the la- the last couple of those, and the story's just been the same. No immediate plans to bring him up. Uh, I think the most recent update that I saw was that they want him to to remain in AAA so that they can see that he's repeating his delivery from start to start uh, over a, a chain of several starts in a row. It is frustrating because he's just gotten better as the season's gone. On there's plenty of opportunity, obviously, in the Nationals' rotation, uh, and it's I, I wouldn't rule out a, a call up for Cavalli, but it's also one of those situations where you know since they've waited this long, it does raise some doubt on whether or not we'll see him in in 2022. Obviously, he would be uh, primed to, to play a huge role in the rotation in 2023. Yeah, I'll be pleasantly surprised if he comes up before the start of next season, but I'm certainly not expecting it not stashing him right now with the hope of getting some major league innings before seasons end. interesting name that you put on the rundown today Brett Beatty and it's it's just because the Mets are having some issues at third base right now and Beatty's only been at AAA for a half dozen games so far the thing we saw from him at AA earlier this season was kind of an extension of what we saw a year ago when he finished at that level good walk rate uh, decent strikeout rate, right around 25%, a very slight improvement there. He's always hit the ball hard. That's just been a, a big part of his game. So a combined 24 homers over 129 games at AA as a 21, 22-year-old, you love to see that overall. Do you think Brett Beatty is going to be a part of the Mets equation at third base down the stretch? I keep hoping for it. Uh, I, I I'm sort of skeptical, just like we've been skeptical of some of these reports of players maybe coming up like Cade Cavalli, and and yet there doesn't really seem to be a lot of incentive in the organization. What we're hearing from the Mets organization, uh, and this was in a report I saw uh, on MLB.com within the last 24 hours, that um, the Mets are not planning to bring up either Beatty or Mark Vientos. Either one could could fill the third base uh, uh, slot. That's pretty much open at this point with Luis Guillerme on the IL with a groin strain out for four to six weeks. Eduardo Escobar, he's already seen his role diminished. They've called up uh, Devin Marrero. So it just seems like there's an opportunity, if not Beatty, at least Mark Vientos, one of the two to play third base for the Mets, uh, play a substantial role there. Uh, And I guess I, I remain a little bit skeptical because it just seems like it would behoove the Mets. You actually said this to me offline before we started. It would, it would behoove them to see what what one or both of them can do uh, before they head to the postseason. If that is potentially a a spot that's that's going to be a weak spot in in the lineup, and uh, the the word from the source is that the Mets don't think that either one is ready defensively for the major leagues. I just wonder if it's going to you know get to a point where maybe. They'll they'll change they'll change their minds about it and feel like there's there's a need to see if there's a a better option there at third base. But as of right now, uh, we don't have a reason to think that Beatty's going to be up. And I think it's important to to note that because he is one of the most added prospects in CBS leagues as of right now. Yeah, I mean, I think for NL only leagues especially, making that move to speculate on him would make a lot of sense. In a mixed league, it's a little bit trickier. I, I think it's surprising that the the move was to bring up Devin Marrero. That name might sound familiar because he was a first rounder, I believe, of the Red Sox way back in, in 2012. And Marrero has been up and down for the better part of what seven different seasons now, and has a career 193, 249, 283 line. He's on the wrong side of 30. Hasn't been able to hit when given those chances. Um, tons of respect for a player sticking with it and trying to hang around and get that last shot. But to me, it's like you have more proof that Devin Marrero is not a solution against big league pitching than you have of the other two guys not being ready to play third base defensively in the majors. Like you can, you can go try and prove the other thing. You already have proof of the the first one. So you know why not learn something about. Beatty or Vientos these next few weeks. It's one of those things that I, I don't understand because the good news is that Guillaume injury probably keeps him out until the early part of September. It's not something that's season ending. It's not something that's supposed to linger into October. So they'll at least have the elite defender option back sooner rather than later. And in the meantime, they could figure out a little something about their depth and obviously try to get a glimpse into their future if they go that route as well. Uh, one of their trending player, Kerry Carpenter, nearly 10% rostered in CBS, getting an opportunity right now 
in the Tigers outfield mix. And I'm kind of curious about him just because the numbers in the upper levels of the minor leagues are really good. He's a little old for the level. So uh, kind of fits the profile of a Nando guy. Once Nando's back, I got to ask him if he's into Kerry Carpenter because on the surface, it kind of looks like a player that he would like. Um, but I'll ask you, what do you think of, of Kerry Carpenter? Do you think he can make good on this opportunity with the Tigers and, and offer up some value uh, beyond mono leagues? Well, first of all, great call on Carpenter as a Nando guy. That that sounds like a, a high percentage play there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I've really uh, he came up uh, in an earlier episode, and I I pretty much dismissed him as a, as a mixed league option, and I think I was maybe a little bit hasty. T- to do that. Um, that said, what he's done so far, I mean, he's hitting for power. He hit for power double A, hit, hit for power triple A, and he's done it so far in the in the very early going. Uh, he is, has been extremely aggressive. He's got a 55.9% swing rate so far. And yeah, I know we're talking still very small samples here, but uh, that's also a pretty extremely high swing rate and not a, a lot of contact, a 20.3% swinging strike rate, which is you know, sort of making it like the average opposing pitcher for Carpenter is, um, you know, like the, the the best reliever possible you could think of. So that's, you know, that's not very encouraging, uh, you know, but that said, I think that there's probably some value here in 15 teamers if you have a a need for, for power. Um, but I think that's that's probably about the extent of it. Yeah, probably a bottom of the roster guy in those formats, and I think you'd have a few other options to consider who are just playing and are kind of big question marks in terms of what you're going to get. But Kerry Carpenter did put up really good numbers, 30 home runs between AA and AAA this season in a combined 97 games, hit over 300 at both levels, slash lines were pretty good. Uh, started walking a bit more at AAA as well. I, I don't know if we can trust those plate skills. I think I talked about this with you maybe on the Friday episode. Like the the skills getting a lot better with the promotion in this case don't necessarily mean that something actually changed. That might just be some noise. Um, so be kind of careful with that. But could be a nice cheap power source in those leagues that you described. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Let's get to a level roundup. I did some more leaderboard surfing, as I tend to do, looking for some names that I don't see on top 100 prospect lists. And one name that's probably close to a spot on top 100 prospect lists is a shortstop in the Rockies organization, Adel Amador. He's put together a really nice campaign uh, at low A in the Rockies organization so far. Another Rockies prospect. I feel like we've had a handful of lower level Rockies prospects that have crept onto our rundowns over the course of the season. I don't know if that means they're doing a lot of things right or if they just have some guys tearing up lower levels of competition and getting them from there to the big leagues is, is part of their challenge. But uh, Amador does a little bit of everything. Good average so far, drawing tons of walks. Actually walked more than he struck out so far this season at low A and, and doing it at a very age-appropriate age 19, right? So we're talking about a switch hitter, has some pop. He's popped 14 home runs. He's 22 for 33 as a base dealer, so not a great success rate, but good enough to probably keep running as he advances. I would imagine he's going to get a long run at high A to begin 2023, but if he handles that promotion well, we're going to be talking about Amador as a top 100 prospect sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, there's a lot to like here. I think that we do have to watch both the frequency of steal attempts and the efficiency as he moves up to, to high A because, uh, like you said, uh, thrown out one out of every three times in low A at the complex, uh, thrown out seven times out of 17 attempts, which is a, you know, a very poor ratio. Uh, and that that would be a huge part of his appeal uh, as, as he moves up. And just a you know, question DVR that I, I'm going to throw to you because I've not really figured out how to answer it. And that is when you see somebody in the, in the Rockies organization, a hitter specifically, uh, is that something that you take as a, a plus or a minus or a neutral? Because I've tended to think, well, you know, if they stay in the organization, uh, you, you figure you're, you can add a little bit of power to the profile once they reach the majors, but they've just had such a poor record of developing hitters that I wonder if maybe I've had it backwards. I think it's a slight positive because of the eventual landing place. Um, I think that's reflected sometimes in how prospects are graded on fantasy lists. I think about Zach Veen as a player that probably automatically got a little nudge because of a future in which he'd play half his games at Coors Field. But we're talking about a reasonably small upgrade because I think we've learned a lot more over the years about how difficult it is for hitters to make the adjustment going away from Colorado. And Sometimes you get the can use the player at home. You don't really want to use the player on the road splits. That's not really ideal uh, if you're in a weekly league where you have to make a decision for a whole week. You know, you get a good series and a bad series based on park factors sometimes. Or you get a whole week of road games. You got to use someone else. So uh, I would say it's a, a slight upgrade to overall value. I think the concerns you outlined are, are very real. I think we've seen this for a long time, especially. When the Rockies have affiliates in hitter-friendly environments, it gets even worse. And I think Fresno actually is a hitter-friendly environment. It's uh, second most friendly for home runs in that low-A West group of ballparks. That's like Fresno, Inland Empire, Modesto, Rancho Cucamonga, San Jose, Stockton, Visalia, all those. So I'm looking at the Baseball America factors from last year. So just to think about this in some context, that 14 home run total we've seen from Amador this year in the face of what was previously graded, I think, as kind of bottom-of-the-scale game power by Fangraphs, you could say, okay, wait, how much of that is the player? How much of that is the environment? Those are questions you want to make sure you're asking with pretty much all minor leaguers, but I think you want to be very careful that you don't get duped with Rockies prospects who have stops in hitter-friendly environments. Now, the good news with Amador, those plate skills are going to play out anywhere. When you walk 16% of the time and strike out 13% of the time, that's phenomenal. I think the other thing I'm looking for in the profile as he advances is a slow reduction in ground ball rate. A 54.8% ground ball rate doesn't usually go well with a guy that's trying to hit home runs. Like a 25 home run season with a 54.8% ground ball rate is possible, but it's not exactly what you're looking for. And that's that's the other profile thing that I think matters uh, quite a bit. So yeah, a slight, slight upgrade for Rockies hitters because of that possibility, but a lot happens from low A to the time a player potentially plays in the big leagues. And you're right, they, he could be part of a trade and, and never play a game in Colorado. And again, maybe that's a plus. Uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's been a kind of a puzzling thing for me, but your point's really well taken about the strikeout to walk ratio, uh, that that being something that would be very encouraging regardless of, of where he goes. A few other names to get to. Uh, How Yu Lee is in the Phillies organization. Uh, right-handed infielder. Really nice plate skills from him as well. 11.2% walk rate, 19.3% K rate. A little bit of power. 61 games played so far this season. 9 for 16 as a base dealer, so an even worse success rate than we just talked about with Amador. So we'll have to see how that plays as he moves up. But about 40% better than league average. So just a player that I had not even heard of entering the season who has done really well at low A and is at least a watch list player for me in keeper and dynasty leagues as we look ahead to 2023. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, you know, all these names that you're, you're mentioning, uh, not uh, not near uh, top prospect lists, but all names that I think, uh, you know, the, now that we start thinking about uh, drafts going into 2023 in our dynasty leagues. Uh, definitely names to, to be adding to your, your watch lists. And Lee, for what it's worth, has pretty much split time between second base, third base, and shortstop. So that might be more of a utility sort of profile. Kind of curious to see where he eventually settles in defensively as he advances in that Phillies system. Frederick Cosme in the Orioles system, also having a nice year in the low A ranks. Uh, I think this is 
this is probably one of the more obscure names for me on the list as well, just because I I don't usually think about players at like pop up players at low A as pickups in dynasty leagues. It's one level too low. Like when I'm when I'm fishing in the, the dynasty league pool, the high A players who are starting to pop like this, the guys who are 30, 40, 50% better at high A unexpectedly, those are usually the players I want. But if you get into a deep enough league, you don't always have the luxury of waiting for that. Sometimes you have to speculate as soon as a player shows signs of doing anything at a full season affiliate. Um, not quite as much power as some of the other players we've talked about, but a 353, 434, 440 line this season for Ben Cosme in the Orioles system. Yeah, and uh, doing it as a 19-year-old, again, you know, uh, not not uh, old for the level. Um, very, very encouraging. Very uh, low strikeout rate. And uh, just see if uh, power uh, gets added as he moves up. One more name, Edgar Cuero in the Angels organization. He's a catcher, popped 14 homers this year. He's 11 for 15 as a base dealer, which is very surprising for a catcher. Uh, Switch hitter also. Good plate skills, again, young for the level, and a 151 WRC+. Um, I think of the players we've discussed after Amador, like Amador is kind of clearly the most interesting one, most likely to already be stashed by someone. Even though I don't usually like to stash catchers, I think Cuero is actually is the next most interesting player from the other three hitters. Yeah, I agree. And I'm always a little bit skeptical when I see uh, a, a steals total like this from a catcher, especially the low minors, because you figure as they work their way up that that's going to dwindle, but definitely something to to keep an eye on. And uh, another, yeah, another hitter with uh, a good strikeout to walk ratio with, uh, yeah, with a little bit of power. So very, very intriguing. Yeah, definitely a, a fun player to keep an eye on at the very least. Now, there were a few names on the pitching side that caught my attention, including Mitch Brott, who is in the Rangers organization. And maybe part of the reason I was interested in in, in Brott, Brott, Brat, B-R-A-T-T? What do you think? Brat or Brat? I was going to go Brat, although Brat is definitely more appetizing. I think I'm just I'm such a Wisconsin person. I think it's I think it's Mitch Brat. I think it's it's more likely to be yeah Paris, because of, like, Paris well with Seth Beer. Yeah, it really does. Uh, we're gonna say Mitch Brat at the low A level for the Rangers. 76 Ks and 61 in the third innings. Great ratios, a 2.35 ERA and a 1.11 WHIP. Really no skills issues, right? No issues with homers. Walk rate is at a reasonable place. Just just a guy that I didn't really have on my radar at all. He was a fifth round pick. In 2021, just a really nice first year. And it looks like a guy that has four pitches with pretty decent command. So kind of curious to see what uh, next season brings for him as he probably sees high A for most of the year. Yeah, and he he has made the uh, Rangers top prospect list on fan graphs. uh, That's certainly for me uh, a go-to source. Not too far behind Cole Reagans, just to give you some idea uh, of a comp. So uh, yeah, definitely somebody to, to watch. Yeah, high school lefty, so we'll see if he uh, hits a big growth spurt, picks up some extra velo along the way, because I think that would also give him a chance to vault up a lot of prospect lists. Uh, Edinson Batista in the Astros organization, another young pitcher working at the low A level. He's really kind of caught my eye. Uh, The tools grayed out with a big slider, a future command grade of a 60, according to fan graphs. Those two things alone kind of give you the, the floor of being a good reliever, but there's more to him than this. And I think the the numbers similarly good to what we just talked about with Mitch Bratt, where the ratios are you know, ERAs in the two, uh, the low mid two range whips at 110, hundred K's and 84 and two thirds innings clearly being developed as a starter right now. The only skills flaw here, the walk rates a little bit higher, right? 11.2% is a slight concern, but I worry about that less when I see the future command grade that has been placed on Edinson Batista. And I think we'll have time to to really watch how he develops as he gets promoted because uh, the, the Astros, and I don't know, tell me if you have the same perception, but it does seem like they bring their pitchers along very slowly and often then when they get promoted, they'll, they'll bring them into the bullpen. Uh, I'm guessing that's maybe what they do with Hunter Brown. Uh, but yeah, you know, so I, I don't think there's necessarily urgency to be adding Batista other than in, in very deep dynasty leagues, but uh Nonetheless, somebody that uh, it's it's worth uh, seeing how his skills uh, how his skills uh, pan out as he goes to higher levels. Yeah, and I think just 
kind of a, taking your question from earlier about Rockies position players and, and throwing it back at you with Astros pitchers. Do you tend to trust like Astros pitchers? Obviously, Dodgers pitchers would be in this group. Do you do organizational uh, characteristics lead you to speculate more on similarly skilled pitchers? Right when you're kind of going in off profiles and reports, and we're not getting firsthand looks at the overwhelming majority of the players that we're trying to stash away in these ultra deep leagues. How much of a difference does it make for you seeing? the Astros as the organization, as opposed to, say, the Angels or a team that has struggled to develop pitching? Just a little bit. Um, And I know that, you know, it it makes a difference. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people who who would know better than me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they they say that the the organization really does make a huge difference. Um, But, you know, you you take a look at a, a Forrest Whitley and I don't know how much of that you can put on the Astros, but, you know, just the point that you can have somebody who at one point was the the top pitching prospect in all the minors and has, uh, you know, has stalled out. So it's really just maybe a little bit of a bump in my estimation, but I, I just think, you know, you can, you can have outliers uh, in, in bad and in good organizations. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I, I, I think I'm probably biased to take my chances in the better org, though, like it, it, Cleveland's another example of this, right? You look at the Guardians, Astros, Dodgers, Rays, Brewers, like those those teams are firmly in that circle of trust. And I don't know if I have as many organizations that are at the opposite end of the scale where I just won't pick up a pitcher. But I just think when I'm looking at someone kind of on the fringes, that can be the extra little nudge of confidence I need. Oh, this team finds players that are a little bit unheralded, develops them really well. They tend to pick up velocity. They tend to have good location strategies. They tend to bring guys through in in ways that makes them really max out in their ability. Um, And that reminds me just as a, as a, a college football fan, a pretty casual, casual college football fan, as a Wisconsin graduate, they bring in three-star players and they win a lot of games, right? It's, it's development. It's building the offensive line. It's, it's, it's that kind of concept where you just, you're trusting the system to get you as much out uh, as you possibly can from the talent that's going in. I think that's, that's where I tend to be with an organization like Houston, especially with the success they've had on the pitching front. Uh, one more name to throw out there, Dahian Santos in the Blue Jays organization, putting up big strikeout rates in the minors, 120 Ks in 73 and a third innings this year, working at low A, does have a walk problem. That's probably why we haven't seen him get the nudge to high A this season, but it's an improvement over the very brief time he pitched at Dunedin last year. Uh, I think we're talking about a guy that has a really big ceiling if the Jays can eventually get that walk rate under control. Yeah, certainly uh, if you can maintain something close to a 40% strikeout rate, that that definitely uh, buys you a little extra trust. You can afford to uh, issue a few walks. Uh, but yeah, really uh, be very, very interested to see how uh, Santos does uh, as he uh, moves up to high A. I want to see if he grows too. He was listed at 5'11", 160. So if he gets bigger, that goes a long way to possibly push up that velo. Just 19 years old, of course. Uh, putting together a nice season, though, at low A. So next week, we'll take a look at double A. And then I think we'll do kind of a, an overall minor league recap as we do level roundups on these next couple of weeks. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can find Al on Twitter at LMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at The athletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. It gets you access to everything behind the paywall and it, you know, it's fantasy football season. So that's a, a great time to sign up if you haven't done so already. But of course it's the stretch run for fantasy baseball. So we have you covered there as well. That's going to do it for this episode of the athletic fantasy baseball podcast under the radar is with you on Wednesday. Wednesday.